Welcome back, Canadian Baseball Network fans, to the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. We have another exciting guest today, uh, Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. Most fans will recognize the name from his top 100 prospects list and top 30 prospects list throughout Major League Baseball. Uh, We're excited today to talk to him about some Canadians specifically and some Blue Jays prospects. Um, We're going to dive into it all with Amanda knows those guys better than anyone. We are thrilled to welcome the Canadian Baseball Network podcast from MLB Pipeline, Jim Callis. Jim, how's it going? Uh, good, going, going good. It's like, it's crazy, but it's, even though it's cold here in Chicago, the college season, I think we're about two and a half weeks away from that starting and uh, spring training's right around the corner. It's like we're, we're getting ready for another season. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, it's, it's you know, end of January, beginning of February when this comes out. So uh, you're probably pretty busy, though, as 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 the days take away into the spring. Yeah, this might be our, as crazy as the draft gets, like like the most concentrated busyness is like on that draft weekend where it's draft and futures game, high school America game and working like 21 hour days and not eating and that's insane. But in terms of extended busyness, this is probably the busiest time of year as we're trying to like, I do 10 top 30 prospects lists that I'm trying to do simultaneously right now. And trying to hopefully get those done before spring. I go off to spring training. Um, so this is probably the the, the biggest like uh, weight on my shoulders for an extended period of time for the whole year. But uh, but it's good. It means that another season's going to be here soon. Of course, and yeah, we're, uh, with how busy you are, we're really thankful that you were able to take the time today. But the, the top 100 prospects list just came out um, a few days ago. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So before we get into the Canadians and some of the Blue Jays prospects, on that list, can you just kind of take us through what the process is for establishing the top 100 and what kind of collaboration goes on? Yeah, you know, it's um, so there, there's three of us at MLB.com who, who kind of work on that list. And it's me and Jonathan Mayo and Sam Dykstra. And it, it, it's similar. You know, before I, I came to MLB.com, I was at Baseball America. And I, I want to say we did our first top 100 Baseball America in 1990, one of my my first couple of years there at baseball America. So I've been doing them for a while and the process is kind of similar. Um, but, but at MLB.com. So, so Sam and Jonathan and I, we start by making our own personal lists of the top 125 prospects to give us extra guys to work with. And then we kind of combine those in a spreadsheet and then we, we talk about them. So we'll make some adjustments. It's not just straight math. So we'll make some adjustments and then we send the list out to, I don't know. We, we we get a bunch of feedback. We got feedback from at least 30 people in baseball. We send out to a bunch of people. And some people weigh in and they'll give us a couple thoughts. And some people weigh in and they'll give us thoughts on like 50 players on the list. So we get a bunch of feedback and we make some adjustments based on that. And then because we do, anybody goes to our site and you see we have reports on all these guys with scouting grades. We'll also vet the grades. We'll We'll vet the individual grades and then we'll look and see you know, especially apples to apples. If we have two outfielders and they've kind of gotten to the same level, you know, does the guy who ranks ahead, the guy higher rated outfielder have better tools? Like, now, granted, if you have one guy who's been in AAA and one guy who's been in A ball, you can have some leeway because one guy's proven more and there's floor and ceiling. But we'll, we'll kind of look at it from that way too. And then we'll, you know, maybe tinker with a little bit at the end. But it's a, it's a pretty involved process. Um, and like, like, I appreciate, we get so much feedback from people in the industry and I, and I always feel good about that. You know, it, it's not just the three of us. And when we do our list, it's not just, hey, we just, uh, this is who we like. I mean, that's based on like essentially 12 months of conversations we've had about these players, you know, leading up to forming the list. But, but I do, we get so much input from the industry on the list that I think it helps us really fine tune it and, and make it as good as we can make it. Now, would that be input from, I'm assuming, scouts, front office personnel, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, exactly. Analysts, like 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 the gamut. Like, I think there might be a GM or two who weighs in. Like, we, we send it to a bunch of people, but it could be GMs, it could be assistant GMs, scouting directors, farm directors, pro scouting directors, like I said, analysts. It, it's a wide range of people. And then if you factor in all the people we talk to during the year, you know, like, because I know... Like, I'm just like, we have a bunch of draft guys on this list because it was a pretty special draft in 2023. But like, I'm trying to think of like, 
Paul Skeens. Like how many people did I personally talk to about Paul Skeens last year? <laughs> 20 or 30? Like, so it, like it's feedback. Like we're basing our opinions on what we heard during the year, but then we get direct feedback on the list from a wide variety of people as well. And you, you travel all over. So how often do you get to see a lot of these guys? Would you say it's pretty consistently, say the top 100 even, would you say you've seen each of them? No, I mean, we don't go to as many minor league games as you might think because we're running around with the draft like in spring training. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I, I guess I should – it would be I, – I, I haven't done the exercise. It would be interesting for me to go through and see how many of these guys I've seen individually. Um, the nice thing is so much has changed since I got into the business. Like I've been doing this since – I guess I've been working full-time since December of 1988, and I've been fortunate. I've pretty much done the same thing forever. I've done it for a couple different companies, Baseball American, Stats Inc., and then back to Baseball American and MLB.com. But when I started, like there was no internet. There was, you know, you know, I I remember I remember when I met my wife and, and she had a computer with a modem and you could download stuff at 300 baud on America Online. Like, like that was like high tech. And now like I can like on my phone call it video of just about anybody and all and all this data. But like so even the people you haven't seen in person, there's video of all these guys. So you, like I haven't seen Sebastian Walcott of the Rangers. He's probably the most inexperienced player on our list or youngest player on the list. But I there's plenty of video that exists of Sebastian Walcott. So you can, you know, you can look at that stuff. And then you know, we've got access to Synergy, which is tremendous, especially for the draft. But you know, and it also covers, I think, double A and triple A. So, you know, and again, even I mean, even Twitter. Like you can find video of guys. Like if it's some obscure guy, there, there's times where I was like, oh, I can't find videos. Guy, I'll, I'll go see if there's any video on Twitter. And usually, somebody's posted video of some obscure guy on Twitter. So it, it's even though I haven't seen him in person, you can lay eyes on all these guys. You know, like when I started, like the conceive of that would have been unbelievable. Yeah, and and it's funny you say social media. I just did a story on a Canadian that committed to Wabash Valley. Um, and he said that was one of the biggest things that surprised him about the recruiting process was how much attention he got on social media. So I, it's just crazy how how big of an impact that can have. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, especially like if you think about it, if it's a, if it's a pitcher or a hitter, you can get. I mean, it's not going to be be all, and it's obviously better. You could see more, and you could do different angles when you're in person. You can see whatever angle you want to see or bear down. You want to, but like just be able to look at a guy's delivery or look at a guy's swing. Like you put a sixty second video on on Twitter. And you can see that stuff. Like it, it, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. So I want to jump in. There's two Canadians on the top 100 list. Tyler Black, the uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, came in at number 46, and Owen Casey right after him at number 47 of the Chicago Cubs. So let's talk a little bit about Tyler Black first. What is it about his game that you think Milwaukee Brewers fans should be most excited about? Well, I think his hitting ability is the most most exciting part of his game. And, and I'll admit. Well, I'm gonna go back and look at it. So he was he was the 33rd overall pick in 2021, and 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 the way we covered the draft is Jonathan and I, Jonathan May and I split the country in half, and I have the Midwest, so I had Tyler Black at Wright State, and I liked him, but I thought the Brewers, I'll admit, drafted him like overdrafted him by about a round. I thought he was like a second, third round pick. I didn't think he was a supplemental first round pick. But one thing he could really do that was clear was he could hit. Like he, I want to say the year that they drafted him, I think they opened the year against Vanderbilt and Kumar Rocker. And he had, a, he might've hit a double off Kumar Rocker if my memory serves. And like, so like he kind of impressed against, and I think the second series they played Alabama and they had a third round pick and he did well in those series. And then he played, you know, Wright State's a very good program, but it's not like a top, top league, like the SEC or the ACC where you're playing top competition. So he could hit, but I thought he was kind of like, okay, he can hit. I'm not sure what else he does is, really that great and i think i underrated him as a runner i think he's got plus speed i mean we saw i stole 55 bases last year and i don't think he's a big time like he's not going to hit 30 home runs but he did hit 55 extra base hits last year and i just think he's going to be a guy who he's definitely hit for average he's definitely gonna get on base he's probably gonna have close to average power the pitch home Black swings and hammers this. The left center field. Dunn goes back. Warning track wall. Looks up and Tyler Black's got himself a three-hit night. This one a 414-foot homer. He can run. He's going to make an impact on the bases. He's had, like, I want to say some shoulder issues 
maybe even surgery when he was in college. So I, I don't think he throws great. That's probably the biggest knock on his game. But I do think with his speed, there's some versatility. Um, you know, is he a third baseman? Is he an outfielder? You know, wherever. But I, but I do think he can just really, really hit. And in today's game, guys who can put the bat on the ball consistently and make quality contact are hard to come. I, I don't know how anybody hits, man. When, you, when you're talking about video, when you look at video of these pitches, like guys are throwing 98 and the ball's like, you know, like a wiffle ball. Or, or break, you know, these these 85-mile-an-hour breaking balls that, like, sweep across the plate. I don't know how anybody gets hits today. So guys who can consistently make quality contact, I, I don't think have ever been valued as much as they are now, and that's Tyler's best attribute. So I think he's – and he's really well-suited to do that. Um, but, and, you know, like I said, the big question is probably what position does he wind up at? I, I think personally – for me, I think he probably fits best at second base. Like, I don't know if he's got the arm for third, but they'll find out some way to get him in the lineup, and, and I think he's going to hit. Yeah, and I, and I think that one of those injuries, we've actually had Tyler on this podcast a couple of times right after he was drafted, and then actually I think it was the day before he was going to Milwaukee to receive the co-minor league player of the year. One of those injuries was a scapula injury, I believe, um, in the minor leagues. Broke his scap, something that sounded incredibly painful, at least. And I want to say, I think he had shoulder surgery going into his draft year at Wright State. I Because th- yeah. I, I don't think he threw well that spring. Um, and so there was a question as to what exactly he was. But I, I at the time, I thought he was like, okay, maybe he's a plus hitter. Everything else is kind of average or fringy. And I, I sold him a little short. Um, and he's... He just has come out and played really, you know, and in, you know, he was banged up in 2022 and didn't have a great year. But last year he had one of the better years in the minors and he can just really, really hit. Yeah. And and one of the things that we we did talk to him about was that speed. And he said that he really put an emphasis on that from the people that you have talked to. How much is that? kind of put him on the map even more? You, you mentioned the 55 bases, but just the base running ability in general. Yeah, no, I mean it has helped. Um, it has helped, and it, like I want to say, I think I had him as more of an average runner in college, so I think he has gotten a little bit quicker. But you know, especially when you have the rule changes and they're trying to put more emphasis on on speed in, in the major leagues, like obviously he could take advantage of that. I, I think the speed and his aggressiveness enhances power in terms of you know stretching singles into doubles and doubles into triples. I, I think like like if if. If he ran this well, that this consistently in college, I think he would have been even more highly regarded. Do you think that would have improved his draft where he was drafted? Maybe. I mean, he went thirty third, I mean, so I don't know. Yeah, high. I don't know how high, how much higher he could have gone. But like, I, I would have held him in higher regard. I wouldn't have thought he was overdrafted a little bit. I guess. But yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah, it's like I did not see the plus speed coming. I'll be honest. So one of the things we like to ask when we have uh, like higher end minor leaguers that are that are a little bit close to the big leagues is, do they think they're ready? And he, without hesitation, said yes. So I'll ask you that question: Is there a chance that Tyler Black can break north with Milwaukee after spring training? I, I do. I mean, you know, he hasn't played a ton in AAA, but he played forty games, and like like you'll see guys jump from Double A. So and you know, and he played well there. So you can argue there really isn't that much for him. To prove, I think it's just a matter of where does he fit in their lineup and at what position. Like, I do think he might be better suited, honestly, to be an outfielder in the long run. But, like, they have more outfielders than they know what to do with. I don't – I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I don't know if they have an obvious third baseman right now, do they? I don't believe so. And they've had a weird offseason. It wasn't quite clear what direction they were going. It seemed like early on and they signed Reese Hoskins recently. Um, so I, I don't really know what to think about that team and, and his position. And it's a weird division where everybody's kind of in contention. I mean, I'm looking here. I, so I'm going to say yes. I, I just want to call up. I was calling up rosters resource because I, I, I will admit I did not have every team's <laughs> projected lineup memorized. <laughs> The the projected starting third baseman for the Brewers right now, and I was looking at our depth chart too, is Andrew Monasterio. So I will say no offense to Andrew Monasterio, but yes, I think Tyler Black could break camp with the team. And like I'm not, you know, I, I don't know if they play him at second. I know they like Bryce Trang. I'm not the biggest Bryce Trang fan in the world. I just don't think there's a lot of impact in his bat. And um I mean, he might be there. You could argue that Tyler Black might be their best option at third base and second base. So, yeah, I think he's got a chance to chance to do that. 
you know, we're obviously, uh, we've spoken to him a few times, as I said, and, and we'd love to see him obviously break camp with the big in the break camp after spring training. But uh, regardless of how that goes, I want to talk a little bit about the next guy on your list who came in right at number 47. That's Owen Casey of the Chicago Cubs, a little bit younger, 21. Um, tell us a little bit about what kind of stood out for him and, and gave him that ranking in your, in your top, top 100. Yeah. Owen's got, he, he's one of the best power hitting prospects in the game. Um, you know, you look at the exit velocities he puts up and they rank they, his high, his top end exit velocities would rank near the top among major leaguers. And he's coming off his age 20 season. So he's still pretty young. He's still growing. He was one of the younger players in, in the double a Southern league last year. And yet he finished in the top five in hitting on base percentage, slugging home runs. Um, it's massive power. You know, if he, you know, there are some, a little bit of a swing and miss concerns with him. But, you know, he did get better over the course of last season. He's been pushed aggressively, and, he, and he's always handled the challenge. He's actually won championships the last two years. I mean, this is a guy who could be a 35 to 40 home run guy in the big league level. He's that good. Well, 3-2. Swing, and Casey gets into one to right center, and this ball is gone again. Owen oh, Casey's third home run of the ball game. The reason yeah. he doesn't rank higher is – I mean, he's not an up the middle guy. You know, he, he does have some arm strength. He's a below average runner. So he's probably, you know, he's left field, right field. He, he's not going to play center. But, you know, if you were to take a look in the top 100 as a whole, he'd be one of the top four or five power hitters on that entire list. So he, he's behind, uh, obviously, Pete Carroll Armstrong, who made his uh, big league debut um, last year. Where does he kind of rank in that Cubs outfield? Cubs had seven uh, top 100 prospects this year. So where does he kind of, where do you see him kind of fitting in going forward? Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is, I mean, obviously there's three outfielders, but like Pete Crow Armstrong is going to be the center fielder of the future in the, for the Cubs. I mean, he's such a good defender. But I think Owen's going to wind up in left or right. Now, he, you know, I don't think they're counting on him this year. They've signed, you know, Ian Happ and Suzuki to, to longer-term deals. They have a few years remaining on their contracts. But like, I do think that Casey's power is so good that he's going to be ready end of this year, beginning of 2025. When he's ready, they'll put him in the lineup. You know, maybe he he sees some DH time because Ian Happ can be a pretty good defender out there. But eventually, I mean, he, he's got much higher offensive ceiling than Ian Happ. So eventually, he's. I, I think he's in the long run going to be probably the left fielder in Chicago. You know, maybe right field too because he does have the arm. But um, I, 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 they have other outfielders. You know, Kevin Alcantara is another outfielder. We have on our our top 100 prospects list in the Cubs organization, but I've got him ahead of Alcantara. Um, you know, they they do have some outfield depth. They have some guys in the big leagues, um, but I I just think his power is special. He he's the best power hitting prospect in the organization, and he he they'll make room for him. It's other guys who are going to have to be like fighting for spots. I'm not I'm not worried about him eventually claiming a spot there. So I wrote an article for the Canadian Baseball Network a few days ago, and it was my prediction of three Canadians who could make their, be the next ones to make their big league debut. Tyler Black was obviously number one. I think he'll probably be first. I had Owen Casey on that list. I don't know if that was a little too optimistic. No, um, I think he'll be up by the end of the year. I mean, he's going to play this year in AAA, and if he perfor- he's always performed. If he performed, I don't know why he wouldn't be up toward the end of the year. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I, I I know you had him. I believe is is ETA is twenty twenty five. But I I thought maybe you know he performed really well in Double A. So I wanted to get your thoughts on on if twenty twenty four is realistic for him. Yeah, I, I do think it is. I mean, like the ETA, like I don't think he's going to be a regular for them until twenty twenty five. But like the other thing that could change too is like if Owen Casey keeps playing like he did, and you know it was interesting because last year at the beginning of the year he 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 pretty much mashed the whole year in Double A. But the beginning of the year, he was striking out at like a 40% clip, which is not sustained. You can't su- sustain success doing that. But that's when the Southern League was using pre-tacked balls and guys were like really spinning the ball, like getting crazy RPMs, and everybody was striking out. And when they went back to normal baseballs, his strikeout rate came down to like 25%, which is sustainable with his power. He can have success doing that. Um, so if he continues to mash, like what if like Ian Happ gets hurt in July – and the Cubs are trying to contend, and Owen Casey's hitting 280 with you know 17 homers in AAA halfway through the season. They could call him up then. So I think we could see him this year for sure. Spring is on the horizon, which means so is March break. So why not swing into spring with the Baseball Zone's 21st annual March Break Baseball Camp? 
that takes place from March 11th to 15th, and anyone aged 5 to 13 years old can sign up. What better way for your child to spend March break than staying active and honing their baseball skills at the Baseball Zone's top class facilities? For more info and to register, head to thebaseballzone.ca. And I hate to do this. I, I know a lot of people hate co comparisons, but do you have any comparisons for Black or Casey as kind of how they project at the big league level? I do not have a great comp on either guy. Like, I'm not a big comp guy because I'm like, not either, but I know some people are. So I had that. No, yeah, no, no. I don't mind you. And I like, I relay if I, if I have a comp, I will relay it, but I don't like forcing comps. And it's interesting because comps were created before we had all this video. It was the, the main reason they were created was to paint a physical picture of a guy so that if you're filing a scouting report in like 1982, when they thought that you'd carry a phone around that would have more computing power than any computer at the time, and you could actually see the guy, they, like the comps were like, hey, this guy resembles you know this guy physically, so you could get an idea of what he looked like since you there, there was no film or video. But now I don't have a great comp on either one of those guys. Were there any Canadians that were close to cracking the top 100, or was it is there, was it really Casey and Black from the from the get go for you guys? Now I will have to admit I do not probably track the Canadian origins. As much as you guys do, so give me some give me some Canadian candidates, and I can tell you how close they were. I I I from the get go, I knew Casey and Black were going to be on there. I didn't expect anybody else, but I was just curious if there if you know in that hot top one twenty five, top one fifty, that you guys kind of break down if there were any other Canadians. I don't expect you to kind of you know know the Canadians off the top of your head, but I just thought well, I'd I, ask. I'm going to your website and I'm looking at your list of Canadians in the minor leagues. So, Damiano Palmagiani. No, he he wasn't particularly close, but he looked really good in the fall league. Like I like he was a guy who wasn't really on my radar as a as a top guy, and and he's he's legit. So I wouldn't say close to the top one hundred. You know, one of the guy he wasn't like like we kind of have a running list in our minds. Well, not sure Denzel Clark would would be in that next group. Yep. Um, I'm just scrolling through your, your wonderful website here as I scroll down. I think Denzel Clark, like there's so many Canadians. Yeah. And I think Paul Maggiani, that, that performance in the fall league was probably why he jumped to mind first. I don't really, I, did, I don't also don't believe he's, he's really in that top 100, top 150 group, but yeah, I, I'd say I'm looking at this. I, I've scrolled through and I, I've gone down to independent league players, so I don't have to go any further, but yeah, I think Denzel Clark, who, who's super athletic in the A system is a guy who he, when we got to the feedback stage and he got some votes when we did our initial 125s, like he was, you know, that probably gave us a group of like 150 or so candidates. And he got some, some mild feedback to, you know, possible top 100, keep an eye on him, that type of stuff. So he, I'd say he would be next up. Do we have any Canadians in the 2024 draft? Yeah. It's uh, I don't know that any of the top, top guys like Brendan Lawson, is probably the best, but I don't think he's necessarily the type of guy right now. You'd say, okay, he's going to jump on the, on the top 100. Maybe another guy I'm looking at now, Emilian Petrie at the university of Kentucky. Um, yeah. I mean, I, who, who, those, those guys are both in my half of the country. Cause Lawson Lawson's the guy. If I remember correctly, is he going to P 27 Academy in South Carolina? He is right. I believe so. He's an Ontario blue Jay yeah. guy up here. Yeah. yeah, yeah that, that's who it is. So, so both Lawson and Petre are in my half of the country, and they didn't make our top 100 draft prospects list, which we will continue to update and, and expand up to a 250 during the season. But they both had some support. So yeah, it's I, I'd say I'd say Denzel Clark is probably the next Canadian who'd be on tap for the top for the top 100. Okay, so there it is, uh, Canadian baseball fans. A little bit of insight behind the top 100 and the Canadians on it. Now let's talk a little bit of the Blue Jays. It wouldn't be the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. We didn't mention the Blue Jays. Two Jays on the top 100, uh, Ricky Tiedemann at 29 and Aurelvis Martinez at 89, I believe. I just had it up. Anyways, uh, Tiedemann, what, give us your thoughts on Tiedemann because a lot of Blue Jays fans are very high on him and, and expect him to make an impact very soon. Is he as good as uh, a lot of Blue Jays fans think he is? Yeah, I mean, he looked like it in, in the fall league, which is predominantly – a hitter's league. Um, he, we have him as the second highest ranked left-handed pitching prospect in baseball behind Kyle Harrison, and the giants. And I mean, it's three plus pitches. I mean, it's, it's plus fastball plus slider plus change up. 
you know, he's, he's, he's moved very quickly because the stuff is so good. You know, the, the question with him, he needs to throw a few more strikes and he needs to prove he can stay healthy. You know, he was dinged up last year. He had shoulders and biceps inju- in, injuries, issues. Sorry, got tongue-tied there. Shoulders and biceps issues last year. So only pitched 44 innings before he got to the fall league. Um, you know, I, I think if he ha- if he has if he throws average strikes, he he's going to be pretty good. You know, and stay his healthy. You know, the the thing is, and I don't think he's injury prone, but he's only pitched 122 innings in two years of pro ball. So I mean, he's not necessarily at the point where, like this year, like like I, I do think he's talented enough where he can make his presence felt in Toronto this year. But I don't know, like between the minors and the fall league last year, he probably threw 70 innings maybe. So I don't know how many innings you can really stack on him this year. You're like maybe 120, 125. Um, so they're going to have to manage his, his innings carefully this year. But, he, I mean, there's no quite if he's healthy, he's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. So it's funny, Jax and I were actually talking just before we – we got on here and this is by no means a comparison, but the Jays also had a very high pro- pitching prospect not long ago in Nate Pearson. So can you just kind of talk a little bit about how unpredictable prospects really are. Well, I think especially pitchers because the pitchers are so volatile in like what well, just the injuries to begin with. And, and, and Nate Pearson's a perfect example. Nate Pearson's stuff, Pierce stuff is crazy. I saw Nate Pearson, through 104 miles an hour in the Fall Stars game in, in the Arizona Fall League. I also saw Pete Alonzo in the same game, Homer off 103 mile an hour fastball from, from Nate Pearson. But Pearson throws so hard that you're I, I just don't know that anybody can throw that hard that consistently and stay in one piece. So on one hand, you get really excited, like, oh man, this guy could be a frontline starter. But then the back of your mind, it's almost like the sicker a guy's stuff is the harder it is for the guy's body to hold up. Like, like you constantly see, you know, Joe Sheehan, who's one of the best baseball writers out there, is constantly showing charts. If you if you look at a chart, you can look at three years ago, whatever, whatever you want to take it from in recent memory, of the 10 hardest-throwing starting pitchers in baseball. Let's say, if, and I don't have the chart in front of me, but if you looked at it three years ago, like seven out of the 10 guys have been hurt since then. Like, it's just, you know, Jake DeGrom has unbelievable stuff, but he can't stay healthy. Like, his stuff's like, too good for his body. And like, I do think guys are throwing harder and torquing the ball and spinning it better than ever. Um, and they keep finding more velocity and finding more spin and guys just don't hold up. So with the pitchers, it's really, really difficult with the hitters. I feel like they're kind of easier to project. I, I think that the trickiest thing, and you will always have the guys, like there will always be kind of outliers who are good all the way up through the minors but they can't make that final jump to the big leagues. That, that's going to happen. But I do think the hitters you feel more comfortable with, especially, you know, when you see just cite two Blue Jays, you know, Vlad Jr. hit from day one and Bo Bichette hit from day one. And you felt good about those guys. The turkey thing, I think, with the position players, especially from when, <laughs> based on the comments we get from fans, is I don't think people necessarily are always cognizant of the capability of guys to play positions. Um, you know, like, like Vlad was always going to be kind of an iffy third baseman. I mean, he's still a great prospect, but like realistically, if you looked at Vlad, you're like, okay, that guy's going to be a first baseman. Um, and sometimes you'll see guys who come up as, you know, start their pro careers as catchers and they have no shot to catch in the big leagues. And people be like, Oh, this, this catcher, like back in the day, I'll, I'll say another Canadian, Joey Votto was a catcher, but Joey was. Votto wasn't going to, and so was Justin Morneau, right? Wasn't Morneau a catcher? Yes, I believe he was. Yeah. So like you get all excited and it's like, yeah, but those guys aren't going to catch in the big leagues. Like you can't, you you, you have to factor that in. So I, I think you have to, sometimes it may be difficult, especially from the fan side things to, to, to realistically assess what position the guy's going to play. But for hitters, you could kind of look at stuff and especially now we have data and you can look at how hard guys are hitting the ball and how much they're making contact and how much they're chasing you could kind of feel pretty good about your hitting prognostications, but with pitchers, they can go bad anytime. Like, like for instance, MLB.com has been ranking, ranking prospects for 20 years. I, I was at baseball America when they started, but on the first, the first list in 2004, MLB.com's number one prospect was Joe Maurer. He was our number one prospect at baseball America. Also Paul Famer, pretty good number one prospect. I was number say, two, yeah, you hit on that one. I think. Yeah. And then I think our BA list was very similar. It's number two on the MLB.com list. Was BJ Upton, 
who had a very you know good major league career, not Hall of Famer, but very good big big league career. And number three was Greg Miller. And, and everybody who's listening to this is like, who's Greg Miller? Well, Greg Miller never played in the big leagues. He was a pitcher and he was best pitching prospect in baseball. And he hurt his shoulder that year and his stuff never bounced back. I remember one of the very early, I want to say maybe the second Baseball America Top 100 we did in 1991. Roger Salkeld was the, the top pitching prospect, I'm pretty sure, on that list. And Roger Salkeld got hurt. Um, and I'm not sure... I'm not sure if Roger Salkeld, yeah, Roger Salkeld did play briefly in the big leagues, but he was never the same. But like Brian Taylor, you, you still have some amateur scouts will tell you Brian Taylor is the best left-handed amateur pitching prospect they've ever seen. And Brian Taylor hurt his shoulder in, in an offseason, got in a brawl. His brother got in a fight and he went in to intercede and wrecked his shoulder. And Brian Taylor never pitched in the big leagues. And so with pitchers, you just never know. Um, and and it, it's, it's very tough. And, we don't like if you look at our top hundred list this year. We don't go out of our way to say, "Oh, we're not going to rank pitchers high; they're too risky." We didn't do it, but like <laughs> uh, Paul Skeens, who was the number one pick in last year's draft, pitcher from LSU, we ranked number three. He's the only pitcher in our top twenty-two. Um, and it's not because we're scared and we didn't want to rank pitchers. Um, I think we just felt like the hitters were better were better bets. But he's you know, the only. He's the only. Pitcher in the top twenty-two. I, I went. I've like looked at the list a lot. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. No. It's, um. Yeah. He's the only pitcher. In the, and again, it wasn't like we made a conscious choice. Like, hey, we should rank hitters against pitchers. But you know, like it's like if you look at the if, if you look at the, our our pitchers. So he's he's at three. Um. Kyle Harrison's at twenty-three. And I like Kyle Harrison, but like it's 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 un, you know, it's not a ton of strikes. Yeah. You wish you threw a few more strikes. Jackson Job was hurt last year. Kate Horton and Tommy John in college. Andrew Painter missed all of last year and won't be back until middle of this year with Tommy John. Tiedemann's next. He was hurt. Jacob Mizorowski hasn't pitched a ton. Red Louder's fresh out of college. Like, you know, it, it's not, you know, it, I don't know. What would I say? Half those guys were hurt last year? Yeah, it's um, funny when you, when you dive into this list. Now, uh, those guys you just named off, Harrison and uh, Job and Horton, they don't seem to be quite at the level of Skeen's. No, I, I don't think that many guys are at the level. Well, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But I mean, as far as the rankings in the top 100 go, it's, yeah, yeah no, it makes sense. But I, I will say one of my favorite things to do in my spare time is to look back on previous rankings and previous drafts and see who went where and yep. where they are now. We're, we're talking about guys that never made it or went high and kind of fizzled out. But um, that's what I do in my spare time all the time. But so, I often not, contemplate the same stuff. I I I, I often contemplate. I, I love to look back at the draft from ten years ago. Although the funny thing is with the draft, I always get defensive isn't the right word. Maybe defensive from the team's sake. I, I do think when people like look back at how teams made picks, you have to contemplate how players were regarded at the time. It's absolutely. very easy to look back ten years and say, "Oh, that guy should have gone higher." Well, at like and yeah, there are times like. Like even in last year's draft, I'm not going to single a team out in particular, but like there's a, like as the draft's going on, like because I'm generally providing commentary on every pick of the first ten rounds, or on call to provide commentary live on every pick of the first ten rounds, and there'll be picks, and I'll be like, man, like they way overdrafted that guy, or like, oh, I I think they waited way too long on that guy. Uh, like I mean, look, I'm wrong a lot too, but I remember years ago, I couldn't believe Brian Reynolds lasted into the second round. I was like, what is going on here? Brian Reynolds is much better than this. And I, I was right on that one. I've been wrong on guys too. But um, but yeah, it, it's always interesting. Like, I love it. Like all of a sudden I get frustrated fans of, of a team. Like, oh, I can't believe my team drafted this guy. And it's like, you know what? That guy was a really good prospect when they drafted him. He just happened to get hurt. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty in this situation for sure. Not to jump around too much, but I do want to get to the other Blue Jay on this list, or Elvis Martinez. He's a really interesting player, uh, I think, for Blue Jays fans because a lot of power, but there's there seems to be a lot high upside. But what kind of is his floor? Yeah, well, I mean, he's got he's got like a a big gap, one of the bigger gaps, I think, on the top one hundred between his floor and his ceiling. Now, like in terms of things, he does really well. He's got huge power. It's probably well above average raw power. Uh, you know, it could be 35 plus homer power. Now, the downside is he, instead of letting the power come naturally, and I, I want to say, I think he's hit more homers in the minors over the last three years than anybody. I might be wrong on that, but I, he's hit 86 homers in the last three minor league seasons, which I think is more than anybody's hit in the minor leagues. Um, now, the last two years, he's hit 203 in double A. 
And then last year he hit 243 between double A and triple A because he gets really aggressive. He he did tone it down some last year, but you know, he could be boom or bust. So you could dream on on Aurelis Martinez hitting 35 homers a year, but there's also a scenario where he gets too aggressive and when he faces even better pitching in the big leagues, those guys are going to exploit that. And he strikes out a ton and he doesn't get to his power. You know, it was encouraging. He hit better in AAA. AAA is kind of a hitter's level right now. Um, he did strike out about 30% of the time in AAA, which is scary. And then defensively, you know, he can really throw. I mean, it's definitely an arm for the left side of the infield. He's a below average runner. Like they've played him at short. I, I don't think he's quick enough to play short. He, he finished the year playing second base, um, like third base. Like he's got the arm, but like the, the quick reactions, like the game would speed up on him a little bit. So he's, he's a little polarizing. Like you could dream like this is a 35 homer infielder. And then it's like, or you can also, if you want to be like the, the negative guy on him, the devil's advocate, you'd be like, ah, like I worry about the swing and miss. And I'm not sure exactly where you play him. Like I would think, you know, I, Kevin Biggio kind of bounces around. Like maybe he gets a chance to play third. And we mentioned Damiano Palmagiani earlier. Maybe Damiano Palmagiani gets a chance to play third. Like I, I think you'll see him. I think you'll see a Relvis in the big leagues at some point this year. But I also think he's the type of hitter who I, I bet he needs some time to adjust. Like he he's not the profile of a guy who steps into the big leagues and hits from day one. Like I, I think he's going to have to figure out and like really fine tune that approach when he faces even better pitching. Yeah, and he was definitely a guy that kind of came up a lot among fans as far as the you know, the Blue Jays didn't hit for a lot of power last year. And he's is he the solution, you know, going forward? Um, like you said, a very you know, who knows about that. Um, but is he a guy that you think the Jays can rely on potentially in the coming year or two? Is is he a potential solution out of spring training? With third base being open. I know Justin Turner yeah, I mean, was signed, but he he's not with third baseman anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, he is. He is. Um, yeah, he's I I think you you said that very well, man. I think he's a potential solution. Would I count on him? I would not count on him because he swings and misses a lot, and those guys tend to have a little bit of a rough adjustment when they first get to the majors. So I, I could see I could all see a scenario where he gets a chance earlier in the year and really struggles. He goes back to triple A and then maybe he figures some things out and and then he's even better. You know, he, he's better the second time around. Now, then, you know, in his defense, I mean, he's he's only 22 years old. Like, he got to AAA at age 21. Um, he, he's moved very quickly. He's had a lot of minor league success in terms of hitting for power. It's just, you know, I, 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 he's interesting, but I don't, like, I, I just, I, I worry a little bit that he's going to struggle when he first gets to the big leagues. Yes. Well, I mean, like you said, hitting's not easy, you know, and I'll die on the hill that it's the hardest thing to do in sports. Were there any? I'll ask you the same question that I did about the Canadians. Were there any Blue Jays prospects that were close to the top 100 um, that maybe you just missed out in that 125, 150 range? You know, not really. Like you know, they, they have their last two first round picks, Arjun Amal and Brandon Barrera, are are interesting guys. But you know, Barrera was hurt for a lot of last year, and you know, Namal is barely barely played, and he was a legit first round pick, but he wasn't like slam dunk. You're putting him on the top 100 as soon as he signs, type of guy. So you know, like I, I would actually say no. I, I don't really think there's there was a guy who was who was close. I, I I'd say those last two first round picks would be their next two guys up on the list, but you'd like to see them, you know, play a little bit more before you went there. Like because I want to say Barrera in terms of his career, you know, he was 2022 first round pick. He's pitched 20 innings in professional baseball, including, you know, you know, and that, you know, that was it. So, um, yeah, I, I think those are the next two guys, but neither was particularly close to making the top 100 quite yet. Now, the final two questions for you, then these are just general baseball questions, not related to Canadian baseball. Who is the best prospect going into a draft or, or coming or in your, that you've evaluated going into a draft or after being drafted um, that you've, you've seen and that doesn't that doesn't have to translate to the best big league career but as far as prospect at the time i think the best draft prospect is also the best amateur prospect that i've ever seen and that's alex rodriguez like i just yeah. I, I i like i i was at baseball america and again it was you know this was pre-internet pre-video 
And I like the first time I heard of him, he almost played for the collegiate national team when he was in high school. And they could not work out a deal. Tops was doing baseball cards for Team USA back then, and they couldn't work out a deal for his baseball card rights, or he didn't want to give them up. And, and so he didn't. But I remember thinking, man, this guy must be pretty good. And <laughs> the funny thing was, so he was the number one overall pick in 1993, but there was a lot of thought even going on draft day that that Lupinella was managing the Mariners at the time, and he wanted a guy who could help him right away. And he wanted Darren Dreyford out of Wichita State, who did go straight to the big leagues. He never he he did he went to he made his pro debut in Los Angeles. He was the number two overall pick by the Dodgers. And that they were going to take Darren Dreyford, the Mariners were getting better, and they they wanted that pitching. And Roger Youngward, who was this legendary scout, he was the guy who the, the, the owner in in 87 wanted to draft a college pitcher. He's like, no, we got to take Griffey. He, he got them. He, he was a scouting director. He got them to take Alex Rodriguez and Roger was an old school scout. Um, great guy. Um, he was the area scout of uh, number one pick when the Mets took Daryl strawberry, just very well-respected scout. Um, and not given hyperbole, you know, he was always very helpful. when I was a baseball America, but he wasn't going to like, you know, pump guys up. And I remember in 1993, so we, I used to do these draft report cards for baseball America, which I love doing. And you would have all these categories like best hitter, best power hitter, fastest runner, strongest star, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like we'd have all these categories. And I remember doing the Mariners draft four card in 1993. And it's like best hitter, best power, best runner, uh, strongest star, best defender, closest to the big leagues, even though he's out of high school. And he and, and A-Rod played in the big leagues in 1994, his first full year in pro ball. Um he was a couple other categories. He was like he was like eight different categories. Was a rod like any category could have been? It was a rod. And I remember telling Rogers like he he just sound. I said this guy sounds ridiculous. Like 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 I mean like I mean you know I know we talked to other people on too, but it's just like this guy sounds unbelievable. Um, and I said, does he remind you of anybody? And 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 again, Roger was not a guy who was given to hyperbole or wanted to put you know pressure on on anybody. But he said, yeah, you know, he's he, he's like, he kind of remind, he, he reminds me of Cal Ripken, um, but he's a better athlete, um, <laughs> like a significantly better athlete. And uh, I was like, geez, I mean, at that point, I mean, Cal Ripken was a couple of years removed from being MVP and was, you know, gold glove and silver slugger every year. And you don't get a better cough than that, especially. Yeah, like, like yeah, I mean, if he was Cal Ripken and like not as good an athlete. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. that still would have been a pretty good player. And like Roger was right. I mean, he was, he was a big physical shortstop who was, who was, and I'm not knocking <laughs> Cal Ripken Jr. Who was a lot more athletic than Cal Ripken Jr. was. And like, again, I talk, you talk about his career. I mean, he was in the big leagues as an 18 year old, like in 1994. And then, you know, he played a little bit in 1995. And then, I mean, his first full season, in the big leagues in 1996, I guess A-Rod was, would have been 20. He should have been MVP. He won the batting title. He had 54 doubles. And that was your Juan Gonzalez won the MVP. And it should have been A-Rod. A-Rod was clearly the best player in the American League. And so I, I don't know that I'll ever see a better... I, I, I keep, I've said that. I get asked this question a lot. If I, and I, I'm getting old now, so I've been doing this for a while. If I see a better prospect than A-Rod, I cannot wait to see what that guy looks like. Because... You know, for all, you know, the PEDs, I mean, A-Rod hit almost 700 home runs <laughs> in his career and was a gold glove shortstop. And yeah, he was more suited to play third base. I mean, he's a better shortstop than Derek Jeter, but when he went to the Yankees, it made more sense to put him at third. I mean, that guy, you know, we don't, we're not going to get into the PD part, but you just look at what he did on the field. A-Rod's probably one of the top five or 10 players of all time. Um, yeah. so anyway, and, and he, and, and was great right away. So anyway, if I see a better prospect than a rod, um, that guy's going to be pretty good. Like, so <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to seeing what that might look like. I would but, say yeah, so. That, that's a pretty good answer to that question. He's um, the gold standard. Like I just, you would have to be, I mean, I mean, a rod and his prime, a rod, a rod won batting titles, a rod hit. Like I don't see as good as he was. I don't. I guess we weren't necessarily projecting A-Rod was going to hit 50 homers in a season and win batting titles and gold. I mean, but A-Rod, if you look at it, he won a batting title. He won five home run titles. He won two gold gloves at shortstop. Like, 
that's a pretty good player. He stole 329 bases in his career, even though he wasn't, you know, like aggressively trying to steal. I mean, he's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, anyway. no, fair answer. Fair. I think a lot of people will probably agree with that. So to close out, I just want to ask one more question about, um, and again, this isn't Canadian specific. This is just baseball in general. Who is one prospect that may not be spoken about enough, but you could see having a significant impact um, in the near future? Maybe not 2024, but 2025 even. Um, who's kind of one guy that people should keep an eye on? Um, I'm just trying to think of guys who are ranked a little low. I mean, I, I will say, we talked about it earlier. I'm not just saying this because I'm on the Canadian Baseball Network broadcast, but um, I'm telling you, Owen Casey... <laughs> Owen Casey could be a 35 home run guy. And I think he flies. We, we we did our own podcast today at MLB Pipeline. And we were asked, like, which guy in the top 100 do you think's a little, you know, maybe undervalued or you like more than most? And, and, and my guy was Owen Casey. Um, so I'm not just I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. I'm not I'm not trying to play to the crowd in, in Canada here. Um <laughs> You're not I trying to get points with the Canadian crowd, right? No, I'm not. I'm not. That's legit. I, I will tell you another guy who I like a lot. I loved him in the draft. Um, and he won the first round, but like he was hard to see because he never really played a full season. And that's Chase DeLouder of the of the Guardians. And he had a weird college career at James Madison where he hit 402 with like a 1235 ops over a three-year career. But he had the pandemic in his first season, so it was like a short season. And then James Madison only played a 28-game schedule in his second season, and then he broke his left foot in his third season. So he never really played a lot in college, but he he was good to Cape Cod League and you know, he had a foot injury, so he didn't even his pro debut last year. He only played 57 games. It was, it was a foot injury he had in his draft year that he was still recovering from and required an additional surgery. He was really good in the fall league, but I think Chase DeLouder is just an unbelievable. He's 6'4, 235. He's really athletic. He hits everywhere he goes. He's got really good plate discipline. And I do think that Chase DeLouder is probably a guy on our list who a year from now could be a top three or five prospect in baseball. Um, like a bunch of guys are going to graduate off our list, but I do think he's that talented. Um, and I just don't think people talk about him a whole lot right now. Cause like I said, I mean, he's only played 57 pro games. He, he never really had a full college season. Um, and he was at James Madison, but I, I think he's kind of a, I mean, it's, he's not really a sleeper. He's 31 on our number, our top 100, but I do think he could be a guy who could be a top five prospect at the end of this season. Jim, this was a lot of fun. Great insight. And and again, we know how busy you are this time of year. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh yeah. No, anytime, Matt. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. You guys have an unbelievable site. I I email back and forth with Bob Elliott uh, constantly. He was, he, yeah, he already thanked me for coming on the podcast before I appeared on the podcast because that's Bob, but uh, yeah, no, yeah. we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I think uh, our listeners and our followers are going to be really excited to to hear what you have to say about not only the Canadian prospects, but the Blue Jays prospects. Well, I appreciate you saying, man. I'm going to say one thing. It'll be a little corny, but I'm, I'm going to thank Canada for my, one of my, 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 my closest friends and, and basically the guy who helped me launch it, Alan Simpson, who founded Baseball America. Canadians actually started the magazine in Canada in his garage. Yep. Had a little, had a, had a, he wanted to have a U.S. publishing address. So he drove it across the border and into Northern, Northern Washington. But, uh, but no, it's, so I, I will, I, I will, my, my favorite Canadian of all time will always be Alan Simpson, who I wish like Bob, like he was nominated for the, it's not the Spink Award anymore, whatever the, the Writers Award in the Hall of Fame. But Alan, baseball is Alan a huge debt of thanks because all this prospect coverage that everybody loves and is doing it all comes from Alan. Like, like Alan loved this. Alan worked for the gold panners in Alaska, loved all like, I've never known anybody who's been as passionate about all aspects of baseball, whether it's little league or independent ball, all of it. Alan loves it. The draft, obviously. And Alan, when the sporting news moved from being the Bible of baseball to trying to cover all sports, Alan missed the draft coverage. He missed the minor league coverage. And so Alan is crazy and his wife, Jill deserves a lot of credit too, for like encouraging him to go after his dream. Alan didn't know anything about publishing. He's just like, I'm going to start a baseball magazine in my garage in Canada. And all this stuff, all these things that people do, like ranking prospects, best tools, draft rankings. Alan did all that from scratch. Nobody was doing that at the time. And, and Alan was doing this stuff. There was no internet. If like some scout told you about a player, you couldn't go look up his stats or video. You had to you're like Alan's unbelievable. So anyway, I don't know how I got sidetracked, but it's whenever I think of Canada, I think of Alan. Uh, so uh, I'm thank you, Canada. I, I will thank Canada 
for Alan Simpson, who who should be in the Hall of Fame in the writer's wing. And and he's really the father of all the prospect coverage we have today. That story is Canadian baseball history. And I honestly can't think of a better way to wrap up this conversation. But thank you again. Thanks, Matt. Again, another guest, more great insight, this time on prospects from somebody that knows more than anyone that I've ever spoken to, Jackson. Yeah, a real treat to have Jim on with us, uh, someone of such stature in in baseball, baseball writing. And uh, as you heard, you know, the way he talks about prospects and he just he knows everyone, right? He's, he, he sees all and knows all. It's very interesting when he talks about that. Yeah, uh, one thing that stood out to me about that, Matt, was how high he was uh, or how high he is on Owen Casey. Uh, the Cubs prospect, and you know we've we've talked about him a little bit on this show, uh, but I think you know him kind of raising the alarm, like hey, this guy can hit thirty five to home forty home runs maybe at the big league level. I think will certainly uh, you know get some attention from our listeners for sure. Yeah, when he said thirty five to forty, that is major major power at the big league level, and, it, and yeah, it it's not surprising given looking kind of if you really dive into who Owen Casey is, but to hear somebody like Jim who knows this stuff better than anyone um, say something like that. It really gives you that insight into how good Owen Casey uh, potentially could be for the Cubs. The Cubs, you know, they're looking at Cody Bellinger. They're, they're clamoring for Cody Bellinger, but they got another left-handed hitter in Owen Casey that they're, they should be very high on. I also found it interesting about Casey, how he said they'll find a way to fit him in. And obviously a 35, 40 home run guy, you find a way to fit him in, but how other prospects and other players, even on the big league roster now, maybe shifted around to make room for Casey eventually. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And also because like the Cubs are set in the corners, like he talked about, right. If you've got Crow Armstrong in the middle and then you've got Ian Happ and say Suzuki, right. Um, but you know, both of those players are kind of in their prime, right. So you're, you're looking at it and thinking, and I think you made a good point in saying, look, what if Ian Happ is injured in July? All of a sudden that really uh, speeds up the timeline. And, and that's, you know, the story of prospects in many cases is that is how they get their opportunity, right? Um, sometimes it's not always just by, you know, uh, forcing your way into a big league roster, but also just, hey, we got a we got a spot open here for you. And so I think, you know, continuing to play well and 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 uh, proving himself at AAA will be massive and a huge next step for him and sort of putting yourself in that conversation where you there is an injury and you're able to step in and uh It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And of course, Tyler Black as well, friend of the show. Uh, he talked a little bit about him and, and how he's really been on the rise. And um, he he noted sort of the lack of maybe third base depth that the Brewers have and about how that could lead to Tyler Black, you know, making his way onto a roster earlier. So again, some more good news there uh, for a Canadian prospect and friend of the show. Yeah. And I think, you know, Canadian baseball fans look at guys like Tyler Black, Owen Casey. We cover guys like Black and Casey um heavily and we know how good they are but sometimes it's good to get that outside perspective from somebody that covers all of baseball because when you focus on you see it with the blue jays you focus on your team so much you kind of get so narrowed in on them you lose kind of big picture um so it's really interesting to hear jim talk about both black and casey potentially making it to the big leagues this year it is very exciting for canadian baseball fans Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out Canadian Baseball Network for extensive and comprehensive coverage of the latest in Canadian baseball. And The Baseball Zone, Canada's leading instructional baseball academy and training home to thousands of MLB, pro, college, and youth baseball players.